Everyone needs a safe place to talk. You're here today with Grant and Laurel Fishbook, and we are passionate about the messiness of authentic conversation. From hard questions to difficult responses, this is a risk worth taking. There will be a whole lot of laughs, maybe some tears, and everything in between. Join us as we continue the conversation to gain understanding about ourselves, others, and the Jesus we love. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Saturday night at CTK. I want to welcome everybody in the room and all those of you that are at home watching as well. Uh, welcome to a live version of our podcast. We're glad that you're here, and we're going to enter into a conversation. That's really what this is all about, and I brought some friends along, and I'm so glad to be able to introduce some people to you. Let's start on your far left. This is Molly Martin. Molly has been on our Ecclesia team for a number of years, and we're so glad that Molly's here with us today, kind of giving us that younger perspective. Then we've got Dietrich Grimes. Dietrich on our church council and has been serving for this last year. I've so appreciated his wisdom and his love of the word, which is fantastic as well. Then we've got Drew. Drew Young is our, uh, one of our communications specialists. He also looks after our social media and does a lot of our communication stuff. And so we're glad that Drew is with us. And then Jeff Butcher. And Jeff uh, has been a professional school teacher for many years, attends CTK, part of a CTK small group. Jeff and his wife Paula were actually the guests on our last podcast when we talked about transitions and the fact that we're all in transition at different times. And so, so glad that Jeff has uh, chosen to join us again. And then uh, the beautiful lady to my right, of course, is my wife, Laurel. Laurel actually moderates and hosts the podcast, and I get an opportunity just to kind of talk. So she does all the questions, and then we just walk through those conversations together. I want you to know how brave the people are on the stage that are with me right now, because as with all of our podcasts, we never tell our guests the questions ahead of time. So they don't get to prepare, they don't get to study, they are flying off of the cuff, which means you get to be very gracious tonight as we're walking alongside, because um, if you're not gracious, we'll just switch places with you, and you can come and sit up here and go through these conversation questions as well. We also want you to know this. Um, as the questions came in, these came from you, from our church family. So we didn't pre-write these. These actually came from your hearts. And we asked you to ask life questions about God, yourself, your relationship with others in this crazy time we're living in. And so that's what we're up to right now. And it's going to be a great conversation. And I'm here just to provide a little color commentary. It's kind of a weekend off for me. I kind of like that. So that's good. So Laurel, you're up. Thank you again for the, for the questions you sent in. They were amazing. And I want to say that a lot of them had a lot of context with them, which was good because then we knew the backstory and what you were actually asking. But for the sake of time, we're going to have to eliminate some of that backstory. Just know that we did our best to maintain the integrity of the question itself. But here we go. Here is the first one. So Dietrich, I'm going to send this one your way. <laughs> There's anger everywhere. How do I respond in a world that seems so angry? Excellent question. And I have asked myself that same question many, many times. Um, it, I get angry. I think we all get angry. Um, you know, sometimes I write it off as pet peeves or small frustrations, but those are still things that um, are developed from, from here. And I have to ask myself, What's driving that? What's really causing that frustration? And is it of God? Anger is not of God. Hmm. So um, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes have to stop and take a deep breath and, um, and ask myself, what's the, the driver or the motivator of that, of that anger that's coming from, from inside? And 
think honestly in the last, uh, from the last couple of years, I think it's honestly just been the inability of us to be able to communicate the way that we did. We're separated. We're not able to see each other face to face. We're not able to talk to each other the way that we used to. A lot of our communication is over text or it's over the computer. And you know, when those, you know, those feelings that we have that are building up inside, we don't, we don't get the opportunity to let them out. That, that's a, a source of, of frustration for me and sometimes that anger um, bubbles over into, into something that we do or say that we ultimately regret. So what I would advise, you know, or at least what I you know, recommend for, well, for myself is speak to, listen to, hear and understand from others what their source of frustration is before it, before it becomes anger and before it becomes something really, um, you know, leading to something that we'll regret. Listen, seek to understand, seek to um, really, you know, dig into the, you know, the, the, again, the driver for, you know, for that, uh, for the individual that you, uh, that may be directing their anger at you or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Give, give each other that opportunity to, to, um, to come together and you know, share. And sometimes that can just be a little bit of a relief valve that uh, you know, tempers that anger down when we get a chance to talk to each other, just like we're doing right here. Yeah, I think you know, my, my, one of my favorite verses is, in your anger, don't sin. So it's possible to be angry and not sin, but boy, we cross that line really quickly. And especially in a world of social media, sound bites and stuff like that, it just pops so quickly. So getting that governor down here in that chest to say, okay, hold on, this is another yeah. person on the other side of it, really, really important. Drew, did you have something? I was just going to say, like, for me, I love what you said about the way we communicate because especially over the last year and a half, we've all been isolated. I think one of the things I felt was like everything's a monologue. Like the cool thing about this is like this actually gets to be a conversation and we get to engage in real dialogue. But like when I'm on social media, I'm reading what somebody else thinks and I don't always get to respond or have that conversation or even ask like, what brought you to that conclusion? Like, why do you think this way? Like we don't actually get to have those face-to-face -face conversations. And I think that's the part we miss. And so like we get angry. First of all, other people are angry and then we get angry because we don't get to have the conversation and actually get to like, why do you think that? Because the reality is like, I think when we get to the root of like why people believe or think the way we do, it takes so much of the anger out of it because like, oh, like I, I see where you're coming from. Like I may not agree with you, yeah. but I see where you're coming from. And like what we lose when we don't get to have conversations is that piece. But, and I had a roommate that asked a hundred questions, like every, everything, every conversation, why, why, why? And it drove me crazy. Like the first, like it's, it drove me crazy at first. But then I learned to love and appreciate it because I was like, I feel understood now. Like, I feel like so much of the tension between us is gone because I feel like you're asking to understand me. And so I love what you said. I think it's so good to remember, like, the practical side of that of, like, if you're angry and you're frustrated, like, have a conversation with someone because half the time I've found that, like, all of my anger goes away when I get to the heart of. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, next question that was sent in by you, and these are tough, so again, be gracious. Um, Jeff, are you ready? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to lie in church. <laughs> there is so much talk about diversity and acceptance in the world. I work in public schools, 
and it's hard to be a, a Christian and be okay with elementary age kids whose parents have suggested they have the opposite, they live the opposite gender they were given by God. How do I live out my values and work in a public school system that supports what I call gender confusion? Pass. <laughs> wow. Boy, that is a thoughtful and difficult question. And uh, I'm going to resist giving some sort of prescriptive answer because I don't think there is one. However, if I could start with a cliche, what would Jesus do? Um, and then I'll go from there. I think, I mean, that, that's real. That's real. Yeah. Um, I worked in education for, for 35 years, and I still do to a degree. My wife is an educator. And so I think I understand that question and where they're coming from because I felt some of that frustration. So what a great question. I think sometimes we need to boil it down to its simplest form, and that is Jesus. What would Jesus do in this situation with this person? And if we can remember that that person is a soul that needs Jesus, I think we approach the problem, the issue, person differently, uh, pray for them, talk to them, like we've already said, get to know their story, because everybody has a story. Uh, but deep down inside, I think we have to approach people the way that Jesus would approach that person. And the Bible that I have been reading um, tells me that Jesus spent time with, with an awful lot of people that I don't think I would want to spend time with, or that I disagreed with, or... And I think sometimes we can give off kilter and we can get off the subject at hand, which to me, uh, we have to keep coming back to Jesus. I love that. And I think it's always important to remember Jesus is at work, right? Absolutely. In us, in them. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a situation we need to control because Absolutely. he's in control. Yep. So I love, yeah, sometimes it is really loving people in the moment they're, they're in. Yes. Yeah. I get invited into a lot of, a lot of round tables with people from very, very diverse opinions. I mean, significantly diverse opinions. And I've had the opportunity to share with people who I know vehemently disagree with my position. And my position is that God created them male and female. That's what my Bible says. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm sticking with. But to be able to share that with them in both grace and truth at the same time. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I love is when somebody can say, look, Grant, I completely disagree with you. In fact, I think you're nuts, but... This one thing I know, I know you love and respect me as a person. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for the fingerprints of God on their soul. Yes. And when I live to those convictions, I saw Jesus did it all the time. Grace and truth, grace and truth. Mm -hmm. And the tension is difficult. I mean, I think it's important for us to look at that question and say that it's important that we do love our values, that we live our values, but we live them out by following the model of Jesus, yes. which is grace and truth and, and entering into the conversation, even though it may be very uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. Anyone else want to jump into that? Yeah, okay. I think that there's a few things uh, that are that feel kind of you know hot buttony in our faith. Gender and sexuality feels to be like one of those things, and I think what I've experienced and what I've seen is around the conversation of gender and sexuality, it can feel like. I don't know how to move forward in relationship if this thing I disagree with or if this thing feels like I have questions about. 
And I think it actually prevents us from moving forward, from building relationship, from caring for people because we're only focused on that one thing. And not that it doesn't matter, it absolutely matters. And I think like, there's a lot of questions that we need to ask and it's different for every single person and every single dynamic. But um, I think around like gender and sexuality specifically, we don't have to agree, we don't have to be on the same page as a prerequisite to forming relationship and loving people. And I just think, especially around that topic, it can feel like a tension within us as a Christian of, well, this person doesn't fall in the same place as me, and so I don't know how to move forward. But I would say start with love, start with relationship, and that can be our priority. And the other stuff, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter, but allow that to come secondary to the relationship, to caring for people, to supporting people. I think Jesus modeled that, right, with the Pharisees. He's always having a conversation with the Pharisees, even though they were diametrically opposed uh, to their approach. And I heard this once, it's not mine, but I loved it. I think we get a whole lot further with conversation than we ever do with condemnation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So we can do grace and truth at the same time and still hold to our values. Absolutely. It's good. Well said, Drew, you're on the hot seat now. We all need a purpose. Without it, we just go through the motions of daily tasks. How does one find that purpose and keep it close in our heart? My 20-year-old son is bordering on suicide and is asking this question. Gosh, that's real. Yeah. Like the first half of that question, you're like, we're all asking this question but then you put the reality behind that question, the weight behind it, and it becomes totally different. Um, I saw something the other day that said, there was a photo in the caption said, God wants to use you. And I, and I felt this frustration welling up in me, and I, I really had to process, why am I feeling like this? And I realized one of the things I think we've gotten wrong in Christian culture is this kind of God is boss mentality. So, so working for God, God wants to use me, not God wants to be with me, and God wants to walk with me. And I think out of that is where, especially in Christian culture, we get in this purpose-driven mentality, right? Like, what does God want from me? What do I need to do? And even in life, like, the first question, if you introduce yourself to someone, the first question they ask you is, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, every interaction I've had, it was like, oh, what do you do? Where do you work? Yeah. And I think we've created this, this purpose-driven culture, and that's good, but I... Uh, was watching Derek Archer um, draw this triangle the other day, and he was identifying this kind of three-sided triangle, which is um, purpose, identity, uh, and belonging. And I thought, man, we camp so much in this purpose corner, and it, it just all clicked for me where I was like, oh, I'm not going to figure out my purpose. I mean, this is literally just happening in real time for me. I was like, I have to sort out my identity before I can find my purpose. And I think we skip that. Like, I think we skip the part, and I've skipped the part, where I go, who am I in Christ? Like, who am I in life? Like, because I think our purpose gets driven out of who we are. And sometimes we put so much focus on, on what we're supposed to do that we forget to identify who we are. And I think when you miss that, you can't ever fully, like, you'll never fully get to the destination of purpose. But like, I think the more you figure out who you are and what your identity is, and the more you feel like you belong to something, when you start to anchor those pieces, 
like I'm realizing that, that my purpose has been driven out of trying to appease, like my purpose has felt for a long time like I'm trying to appease someone's expectations because I didn't go through the foundational side of setting my identity first. And so it's like I, I, the, the tough part of those kinds of questions is like there's a lot of pressure like when you get to the point that you're feeling that much weight over your purpose, mm-hmm. you've put so much pressure, like, and I've been there. So I would reframe and just say, like, gosh, if you're struggling with purpose, go back to that source, go back to identity, and, like, work out your identity. Who am I? Who am I in Christ? Who does Jesus say I am? Like, mm-hmm. Jesus says you're a child of God. Like, that's meaningful. And when you start to work out your purpose out of that identity, I think it means something totally different. And, and, there's, and there's hope, and there's hope in that. So to even press into that further with, with saying it starts with identity, obviously there's a huge identity crisis in our world today, right? So how do people actually find their identity in Christ? What does that look like in a practical sense in today's world? For Dietrich? I'll, uh, I, I want to follow up with what Drew was saying around how we make things so complicated and how we, you know, we, we're turning our purpose, our identity almost into this quadratic equation when it's very simple. And you know, it's tied to, to that question you just asked about what is our identity. We are children of God and our purpose is simple. It's mm-hmm. to love and to be loved. And mm-hmm. for, for, your, for your child who is questioning right now what their purpose is, and it's driving them to this, this such a, you know, a, a, a difficult place. Just right now, just focus on being loved and, and recognizing the people around you that love you, the God that loves you, the son that gave his life because he loved you so much. And then, you know, then turn that into how can you love, love others? How can we love one another? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the blessings of God, the, the gifts, the spiritual gifts that uh, have been bestowed upon us, those will add on to that foundation of love. And then, you know, your purpose will come. It will be identified by the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. But everything is built on loving and being loved. Mm. Good. I think a helpful place to start that's really tangible is naming the places that you might be putting your identity in that are outside of Christ. If you don't know how to start putting your identity in Jesus, maybe naming the places where your identity feels like it's elsewhere. If it's in what what other people think, if it's in your job, if it's in your family, if it's in um, any other part of your identity and you can name that, then there can be sort of a redirection or kind of a undoing or a letting go mm-hmm. of some of the other places that are, that are giving us value and giving us identity. And I think a lot of, of putting our identity in Christ is actually simply surrendering the other places. Because yeah. it doesn't, like, even if we're putting our identity in other things, it doesn't change that we are that we are children of God, that we do have our identity in Christ, but to be able to recognize that and name that, Mm -hmm. I think can start when we're able to kind of open our hands and release and surrender these other places that we're finding value in. That's good. Well said. Okay, Molly, this is another question that was sent in. How do you maintain your faith and biblical convictions in these times of tension? With strong social justice movements and influence, 
being a Christian seems, seems somewhat countercultural for younger people right now? Yes, it does. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally. This is a great question. I think um, it's a pretty broad question, and I think that's kind of where I want to start with an answer is a lot of our like frustration and challenges with the tension of Christianity and culture, I think are really broad. Um, like we have frustrations of the church has done this, the church has done that, culture has done this, this group of people has done that. And then we build these frustrations around huge topics that one person can't actually address, that one person can't actually name or solve. Um, and so I would say there's a lot more overlap between the things that God cares about and the things that maybe we're seeing on our Instagram feed or our friends are talking about, then we might realize like God cares about justice in the world. God cares about um, a lot of the things that are kind of social justice topics. Like God cares about those things. And I think that there's room for us as Christians uh, to not go just the way of like kind of the way of the world, the way of culture to fit in or to be um, like to just jump on the train, but actually ask, okay, what does God care about? How do these things that I'm seeing in the world, this brokenness, this pain, wh what does scripture say? What does like, how does God feel about that? And then I would encourage people to be really specific. Um, so if there's a frustration that you have that you see out there, other people, like in our culture, on your Instagram feed, if there's a frustration that you have, be really specific and get down to the root of what your questions are. Um, so if you're wondering how God cares about X thing, be really specific about the question that you're asking um, because that's going to help you find answers. If you're asking these super broad questions, um, it can feel overwhelming and it can actually be paralyzing, I think. And so I, I think if you're asking, a, if, like as a young person, if you're wondering what does it mean to be a Christian in the world, that's a really humongous question. Yeah. Um, so maybe start with something small, like, I mean, this isn't small, I guess, but like how, like, how does God care about this one thing that I see happening in front of me? How does God care about this very specific yeah. thing? Um, and start there. I know that that's not everything, uh, but it is a lot more tangible than asking such humongous questions like, how is there bad stuff in the world and God still exists? Because that, that can just feel paralyzing, I think. Yeah, I love both of your, the last answers, I, I just, it just struck me like, I think one of the things we're seeing in this generation, especially this generation of people who are following Jesus is like, God is becoming intensely practical. Like, I love both of your responses because they make God so real and so tangible and so practical. And I think like, even you identifying like, what does it mean to put your identity in Christ? Like God, like it just made me realize like God sent Jesus, his son, to identify in our humanity, like to identify in our struggles, to identify in our weaknesses, to identify in the things we experience. And so how cool it is to actually ask those questions as if God were right here, like, God, what are you, what is your thought on this? Like, what do you say about this? And it goes back to what you said, like, what would Jesus do? But like actually embodying that, like Jesus became, like God sent Jesus to be human, to identify in our humanity. And, and to realize when we, we, 
I mean, we say, I even caught myself, like, identity in Christ can be such a Christianese thing. Like, I've heard it a thousand times, and I love that you, like, broke down, like, here's what that looks like practically. Because we serve a practical, tangible God, and I think that, like, we forget that sometimes. And so I just think it's so cool to be able to say, like, God, what actually do, like, there are real-life things in front of me that you care about, and, like, what do you have to say about those things? And I love that. Yeah. Anything else? We're moving on. I think we're moving on. Okay, so now I'm just going to throw out questions. I'm not naming. I'm not going to put you on the spot. So anybody can grab them, add on to them. So where is the boundary between grace and forgiveness for others and self-love and protection for yourself? Well, that's a boundaries question, right? I mean, where, where, where do we get to protect ourselves from someone who's trying to create some level of harm? And at the same time go, okay, I'm going to forgive. To me, it really boils down to proximity. Just because, just because I've forgiven someone does not because they actually did something to me does not mean I need to be in close proximity or in relationship with them. So I think that's where the line actually comes, that I, I get to say no to things that are harmful, but that doesn't preclude me from being or extending grace and forgiveness when someone asks for it. It just doesn't mean I need to be this close. I think distance at times can be really, really healthy. There you go. Yeah, I think that boundaries is a pretty, like, popular word in our culture to throw out and say, like, oh, I'm just going to put boundaries up with this person. I'm going to put boundaries up. And um, it, it, there's a place for that 100%, which I think this person is asking, like, where is the place for that? Where do I find the kind of the middle of that tension? But it can also, I think, be just an excuse when people are difficult and when relationships are difficult and when yeah. people are difficult to love. It's like, well, I'm going to put boundaries up because this person is like takes energy out of me. And I think um, a kind of a, a guide to that can be when our love and care for someone else is actually harming them. Um, or harming us, then that can be a place to put up boundaries. Like if we are enabling someone in the way that we are offering continued care and continued support to the effect that it's harmful to them um, or to the effect that it's so harmful to us that we like have nothing else to offer. I think those are maybe some guidelines to putting up boundaries, but sometimes there are relationships that we have that are going to take energy out of us, that are going to feel exhausting, and it doesn't mean that we just get to kind of tap out. Like, that is a place where we're called to press in and to sacrifice and serve and, like, pour ourselves out on behalf of other people that is sometimes really painful and not easy or comfortable, but doesn't necessarily yeah. mean we need to draw distance. I think that's good. We're going to move on to the next one because I'm watching the clock and I really want to make sure we get to okay. the next two. Yeah, you were going to elbow me. <laughs> um, why, this is like the age-old question. Why does God allow people to suffer? Don't all answer at once. I'll, I'll throw something out here. Um, that's one of those big questions you were just talking about, Molly. But it's a, it's a good one. It's a real question. And I, I've had those thoughts as well. Um, I think we have to think more in terms of God gives us choice, free will. Without free will, then love doesn't really exist. So God is allowing us to choose to love him. And obviously some people 
reject that or choose not to. So to me, and I, again, I don't want to sound prescriptive at all, but my best understanding of, of you know, being around church for a long, long time is that, that the very choices that I have, that I'm able to choose God or to choose Jesus, there are many people that have made the opposite choice and have chosen to do evil or bad. And that would be one of those things that maybe when we get to heaven, that'll be on our list. God, why didn't you do it differently? But he's chosen to give us that free choice. Yeah. And I'd like to add, you know, to a couple of things that Jeff said there. Um, first, that this is temporary. The, the suffering is, this life is temporary. This life is finite. And this life is infinitesimally short compared yeah, to the eternity that is coming. So I'm going to twist the question a little bit around why do innocent people suffer? Because it's not always a, it's not always a, um, a consequence of a decision. Right. But it's also, you know, I, I, I look at this in two ways. One, it gives us the opportunity again to love and to ease that suffering or to help our brothers and sisters out of that environment or that situation that causes the suffering, but also again to appreciate that beyond this, at whatever level it is, there will be a time when there is no suffering. It's nothing but joy. It's nothing but rejoicing. It's mm -hmm. nothing but peace and comfort forever and ever and ever. And that is it. I don't want to say um, it gives you something to look look. Well, yes, it gives you something to look forward to. But I don't want to say. Um, disregard what you know what you're living right now because the better is coming but you do have you know, you it gives you hope mm -hmm. it gives you hope for something that will will wipe will wipe all the suffering away and will last for all eternity yeah. I think suffering too can be an incredible opportunity to grow almost everybody will say their biggest learning curve happened during the most difficult time of their life so I think it's an incredible learning tool that it's, it's not something to fear. God's there with us, and there is so much to learn about his character, his attributes, when we are in that place where we are truly relying on them just to get through the day. So it's, yeah. it's not all bad. I think there's pictures of, of, you know, from a theological perspective as well, that, that God did not create this world to be a place of suffering. He actually created it to be a place of peace and harmony. We introduce sin as humankind. Yeah. We introduce sin and that broke it. Mm -hmm. And that means things like cancer and, and COVID and all of that other kind of stuff is a result of, of the brokenness of the world. And we have to live in the brokenness, but that goes back to what Laurel said. In the midst of that brokenness, we can choose. We've been in places that have been wrapped in drought, no food, no water, and we've seen the most joyful expressions of church there yeah. that... Is, is so humbling to be able to be a part of it because they've chosen to lift the name of Jesus up in the face of their suffering and that's what sustains them and walks them through. That's the key. Okay, yeah. time for one more. Uh, I think we can... Uh, you're Saturday night. You guys are great. Uh, we got a couple more for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Should the church respond to racism in our country? If so, how? And if not, Why? I think um, you said if so, how, and if not, why? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think yes, absolutely, the church should respond to racism in our country. Um, I think 
The why is because, um, like I was saying earlier and talking about kind of how we see in our culture, um, like this social justice movement, and also how do I be a Christian and navigate that stuff, and that there is absolutely overlap in those places. And one of those is around uh, racial equality. And when uh, people are racist, like that's sinful. And so God cares about um, people's diversity, people's ethnic heritage. God cares about people being valued for who they are and celebrated for who they are. And so when that, when the image of God in someone is harmed, like God cares about that deeply. And so as a church, as a body, um, we should be a group of people who are celebrating people for who they are, for the image of God in people. Um, And so when, when racism happens, then we get to respond in a way that is, um, is, stating how that is not like Christ and naming how we can celebrate the image of God in people um, and and call that out in a way that is honoring to Christ. I think as far as the how and the specifics, like there's a, I think that is dependent on the context and the relationship and and the the places that we get to do that, um, that are probably, you know, this person probably has certain things in mind that they're asking about with this question that I can't exactly speak to, but I would say, um, I mean, absolutely yes in, in to that kind of specifics of that question. Yeah. Uh, that was very well said. I think that was, that is an incredible response. Um, one person's opinion, I think that the core, the root of racism is a sense of superiority. Racism stems from one, a person or a group feeling that they are superior to another person or group and then manifesting that through words or deeds and in Jesus never taught um, anything around a sense of superiority yeah. he, he taught nothing but love your neighbor as yourself Sir, yeah. Lord who is my neighbor Drew is my neighbor Molly's my neighbor Jeff's my neighbor yeah. the fish books are my neighbors mm-hmm. and I have none of us have any right to to feel superior over anyone else so i can't answer the question around how the church should go about that but i know how um i as an individual would would approach that and that's again to ask what's driving that that inherent sense of superiority that's been either that had been learned or taught and how do i remove that through love and understanding that via love my my brother and sister is are as equal to me as I am to them. Yeah, absolutely. I do. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about the last year that you can't ignore. I mean, this is a hot button topic. Like Molly was talking about earlier. Like it it has been everywhere. And one of the things about that is it's opened up conversations. And for better or for worse, on this side and that side, like it's opened up a dialogue. And I would say, like as far as the how goes, like let's keep pressing into conversations. Like I. I know that there's so much about this that I was ignorant about before. Like, I didn't know people well enough to actually understand the root of some of this. And so, like, even just getting to have conversations, some frustrating, some hopeful, uh, on all ends of the spectrum has started stirring in me, like, I want to know more and I want to understand. And I don't think you get there unless you're willing to have those conversations with people. So, I mean, as far as the how goes, like... I don't think it's a specific how, but I think we have to keep pressing into conversations with people who have experienced these things so that we can understand better because I don't think we'll know how to respond 
unless we understand people. So. Yeah, yeah. I just, I always got to throw the theological because that's just like my favorite thing. The opposite of superiority is servanthood. And Jesus said, Jesus, who took on the very nature, who being God himself took on the very nature of a servant. So he modeled that for us. And then I looked at the question, you know, should the church respond? Well, a verse says, to him who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So you deal with what's right in front of you. You have those conversations. You love your neighbor as yourself. And out of that comes a level of, of joy and hope for a community that says we actually see the humanity, the beautiful humanity that God created in all of us. Yeah, I want to add one more thing. I think sometimes uh, we get really frustrated with the church and we have this picture in our mind of what that is. Maybe it's the church staff, maybe it's the person who's up front talking. And when we ask like, should the church respond? We have a particular picture in our mind of who that is. Mm. But I think just hearing like all of our kind of responses is that we, like every single person here at every service who's a follower of Jesus, like is the church. Mm -hmm. And so instead of just waiting for the pastor on stage or the, the staff at CTK to respond to racism, um, that matters too, but also like, you are the church, and so go have a conversation. We should all be calling it out, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Well done, well done. Last one. Oh, we're going to do, okay. Yeah, we're going for it. <laughs> 704 and Saturdays got grace like crazy, so. I am really bad at getting real with God and carving out time for him daily. I want to be closer to God, but I don't know where to start. Any tips on how to rekindle my relationship with Jesus? I, um, I'll just throw two quick things here. Um, I think one of the, the main catalysts of faith, in, a, in other words, to grow our faith, is our daily time with, with God. So it, I think, and I think this person probably would agree. Um, what I found is being involved in a small group, a community of folks who also struggle with that has been a huge, huge help. I don't know if you all have experienced that but then you don't feel like you're going through it alone. Like I'm the only one at CTK that doesn't read the Bible every day. <laughs> and then you say that in a small group and everybody else is going, um, me too, me too. Well, how do you deal with it? Or how do you deal with it? Or, or what, what is your method? So to me, it's, it's getting around some people that have sort of figured it out and are having some successes. And I think that encourages each other. A lot of it is also tied to what, what out there is more important than God. So walk, walk through your day. <laughs> I do this all the time because I'm, I, I confess, I make myself busier than I ever have, you know, should be. But if I was to go through my day and list out every single thing that I did and then put God on one side of the paper and everything else on the other, and tried to compare the two and say which of these things on this list is more important than time and fellowship with God, I'd be you know, zero for zero. Mm. So what, can I, what should and what will I eliminate first to give myself more time with God? Then what do I eliminate next, which is more time with God? You know, studying my Bible, um, praying, 
we had a, a prayer session before this service and I just, I just sat there and, and felt this is so needed, so welcome. I so need to do more of this. Yeah. What do I get rid of on this side that you know, is gonna allow me to have that time? And if, if, the question, or if the answer is, I can't really get rid of anything, then it's, it's, it's really time for a heart to heart with God and you know, with myself. I think it can be a discipline too, just like with exercise, you know, accountability is a good thing. <laughs> it's good to have accountability with this. Somebody checking in, saying, are you spending time? Are you getting into the word? And having those conversations together, so. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is stuff is so unbelievably healthy and um, time just goes too fast. I mean, and I so appreciate the questions that were asked. And uh, if you want to, just so you know, all the questions and all the services are different every single service. So if you want to hop online tomorrow and follow us at 9.30 and 11.15, you'll be able to walk through uh, because they're not going to get a whole lot lighter. We're going to keep the same level of intensity as we're going through. And I so appreciate the five of you for helping facilitate a conversation like this. I love being a part of a church that says, okay, let's go where a lot of people would fear to tread. And, uh, and if you'd allow me to pay you a compliment, I saw and I heard Jesus in each one of your answers tonight. And that means a ton as a shepherd, as a pastor. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for facilitating. Um, we are so glad to be able to do that. So what we're going to do, we're going to pray and then we're going to say goodnight, everybody. And we'll see you back here tomorrow online. And to all those of you that are watching as well online, we're so glad that you uh, chose to join us. Let's pray. God, thank you that you want us to ask questions. Thank you that you want us to press in. God, thank you. That, that it's okay to say, God, I don't understand. Lord, because you have answers for us. Lord, give us the wisdom to wait for the answers. And God, I thank you. You never withhold that. You're always offering that wisdom to us. And God, I thank you for the wisdom of the five other people on this stage tonight who've shared so eloquently and beautifully. And God, for each person who asked a question that was answered, I prayed that they would, that they would feel heard tonight and that that would continue all weekend long. God, thank you for an opportunity to be here. We continue to love you and we continue to trust you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you, everybody. Can we say thanks to these guys for being up here tonight? Thank you. Awesome. We're out of here.